We've been in this series called Saturate, and uh, in a sense, that kind of continues this theme, this idea that how would God use us in the city, in the world around us, to saturate the world with, one, his goodness, and two, his good news. Both of those together, the good news of God and the goodness of God. And we started this series um, really looking at, uh, you know, oh, what does it mean to be saturated ourselves? And we asked a question a couple of weeks ago, if you weren't with us, and we, you can check on our podcast, you know, what am I saturated with these days? Or what is saturating my life? These were the two questions. And that was a reflective question. This was the next one. What must saturate your life right now? There's a difference between the two. And as, as we started to reflect on that, we moved to last week and we really looked at uh, what does it mean to be saturated in Christ? What does it mean to be saturated in Jesus? And we threw up these words last week, come, uh, follow, abide, and go. And we looked at the canvas of Jesus's life and understood that these were invitations from Jesus to come be with him, to follow him, learn from him, be influenced by him, to abide in him, to remain in him, to get rooted in him. And we focused on those first three words because we said if we're going to be used by God to saturate the city with his goodness and his good news, we must be saturated by Jesus ourselves. Um, and when we think about that, we realize, okay, how, how are we doing in that area? Are we allowing ourselves to be saturated in Christ? I want to move to to the circles again we were talking about last week because we really started in the middle looking at ourselves and then we moved a little bit outwards and said, how is Jesus saturating us? And we said we would eventually keep moving outwards uh, to the outer circles, really to to, to start moving forward to say, how will God be using us? How does he want us um, to saturate our world with his goodness and with the good news? When I think about our own church journey, you know, 12 years ago, just a handful of people... um, started meeting in a community center in Kirkland. And I can't forget the sense of calling in the midst of small beginnings that I had in my own heart, that our city needed not just more churches, but churches that would be rooted in Christ, experience his presence, um, discover the riches of God through the power of his spirit, experience his love in broad and wide and huge ways, and then to just imagine what God would do through a small group of people uh, that would sacrifice for his mission. And as I was thinking about that, I asked a question. I kind of, this came to mind, this, this word came to mind, you know, are we still able to be pioneers? Are we still able to be pioneers? And I think regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey or where you are in your, in your contribution towards your partnership with God's mission, I think that question is so important. You know, am I still willing to be a pioneer in God's kingdom? Am I still willing to be a pioneer in God's mission? Am I still willing to risk, to give, to move, to serve? You know, Ian and Joanna were, serving, were connected in five different ways at our church. Our church was really small. We're not a huge church, but we were really small back then. And, and the, the, the pioneering spirit of so many on the team that would bring stuff in their cars and set stuff up and tear down and do kids ministry in a, in a, in a room that was really not fit for kids, but we did it anyways. And, and it was this sense of a pioneering spirit. What does that mean when when you mature a little bit? What does that mean when you grow a little bit? Sense of a a pioneering heart. My great-grandfather, I've been blessed to have um, a legacy in my family where the gospel goes back two or three generations. And my great-grandfather was the first person 
in, the, in, in my mom's side of the family to discover Jesus and follow Jesus. Uh, you can maybe put that picture up. He, he left Italy uh, in, in the part of Italy called Calabria, and he left Italy, and he came to the United States at first to find work. And he worked in Pittsburgh among many other immigrants and, uh, and helped with a building project uh, back in the early 1900s. And he basically did that to funnel money back home. What he didn't realize is that God had a plan for him, and while he was working in Pittsburgh, thousands of miles away from Italy, he discovered Jesus. And a co-worker started to share the gospel with him, and his heart started to open up to who Jesus was. He had a Catholic background, part of the norm in Italy, you know, 93, 95, 99% Catholic, whatever, especially in that time period, maybe a little bit different today. But he discovered Jesus. Jesus saturated his heart. When he went back to Italy, he couldn't help but let that overflow into his little town. He lived in a mountain town called Gasparina, just up from the, up from the sea. And um, he started sharing Jesus with so many people. And he started uh, to see a little group of, of Christ followers form and grow. And then they started to meet together and pray for their, their village. Um, my grandmother then was just a teenager and she started to like this guy in town. Um, but you know, for this guy to get to know her, they said, well, why don't you come to our little group? (laughs) And so this, you know, this, uh, strong working Italian guy named Antonio went to this church initially just to see if like he can get close to this girl, but he discovered Jesus too. (laughs) And, and he, and his heart was transformed and softened. If you would have met my grandfather, um, you would, you would meet the most gentle individual, hardworking spirit that loved the Lord. And it happened because one heart was saturated with Jesus and it started to overflow to other hearts and other people around them. I want us to think about that image as we turn to this passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles turned, part of it's going to be on the screen. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read just a few verses uh, from this text. And it's, it's, it's found, um, I think, in a few chapters of Luke that, uh, that a shift start, starts to take place in, in the disciples moving from being saturated with Jesus to saturating the world with Jesus. But here's, here, let's read it together and just see what the Lord would have for us uh, through this uh, part of the gospel. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eat, drink, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and are welcomed, eat whatever is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as we, we are warning you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Just pause and ask God to speak to you directly today. Father, we invite you to um, 
intersect our own hearts here. Captivate us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. There's this shift taking place in Luke 10. If you read a couple of chapters earlier and then a couple of chapters later, something is happening between the disciples and Jesus. And in Luke 9 and 10, Jesus starts to send his followers. He starts to send first the 12 disciples, and then we read about the 72 that are sent out. And we, we know the shift is going to come. Here's a verse from Mark chapter 3, verse 14, where Jesus says these words. And he, he says this, he appointed the 12 about Jesus. He appointed to 12 that they might be with him just pause there for a second that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks that we would be with jesus that jesus would saturate our hearts that jesus would saturate our lives but look he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out this was going to come. This saturation process of, of being rooted in Christ was also gonna, part of that and part of the purpose was that it would move outwards I've called you to be with me. I'm also going to send you outwards. And this is what we're talking about. Here's this phrase that maybe will help us realize this. Saturating ourselves first. Saturating yourself in Jesus. But then saturating the world with Jesus. Saturating yourself with Jesus. Saturating the world with Jesus. Last couple of messages I've used like food illustrations. Or last week was the Kleenex filled with Vicks. Vapor rub, and so I'm going to mix the illustrations together. And have you ever been, ever been in a restaurant and got like the wipes at the end of the? You ever get those wipes? Because why do you get those wipes? Yeah, because your hands are filthy. You didn't just eat like something with a fork and knife. You knife. You've eaten something that has just made your hands and your face like filthy. So the restaurant is courteous enough to say, "We'll let them leave looking a little cleaner than they do at the table, right?" And so if that's maybe that's ribs or that's uh, wings or something like that, even ice cream sometimes will you know you'll get dirty on your face and on your hands. And so these wipes are helpful. And the reason that's the case doesn't happen with every food, but there are certain foods that are drenched with. Stuff. They're saturated with, with the marinade, or they're saturated with the topping or the dressing, or obviously ice cream melts, and you can't help but get dirty. It just happens. You can't eat ribs with your hands and not get dirty. You can't eat wings. You can't get, have ice cream and not feel like you need a napkin, because it overflows. It just Whatever it's saturated with, you're going to get dirty with it in a good way. That, that's partly what's happening here. There's this sense that there's a shift going on. Yes, Jesus calls these disciples to be with them, but he says, I want you to overflow and leak, in a sense, and saturate my goodness and my good news around the world, the people around you. The, the core of this text in Luke 10, and we don't have time to read all of it, is this sense of going. In verse 3, Jesus says, go, Go. Now he says, I'm going to send you uh, like lambs among wolves. It's not a, an easy mission. It could be dangerous. So they're going defenseless. They're going dependent on, on God as well. But there's this urgency behind it. There's this purpose behind it. There, there's, Jesus is sending them to towns that he will eventually pass by, but only one last time. Only one last time. He's saying, go to these towns where I'm going to be, and I'm going to pass by one last time. And if they reject the message this time, it might be too late. So there's this urgency. The message was peace initially. You know, when you get to someone's house, say peace, peace be with you. And if they embrace you, then stay with them and talk to them and spend time with them. See, this message of peace was huge for the Jews. 
They, they sat under Roman oppression. The Romans were oppressing them. The Romans, um, you know, didn't make life easy for them. And they were tired of oppression. They were fearful of the outcome. And Jesus comes talking about peace versus war because their mindset was, give me a Messiah who's going to help us take care of Rome and obliterate them so we can obliterate our enemies and then we will have peace. Their, their approach to peace was war. Jesus' approach to peace was peace. <laughs> It was a different approach. It was a, it was a different stance. And Jesus, in a sense, is saying, go to these towns and warn them. If they keep walking this path, if they keep going their own way, if they keep seeing my kingdom as a kingdom of war, they will be in trouble. It will not end well for them. In fact, for some, it will end in death because Rome will come and Rome will topple the city and Rome will destroy the temple. Jesus ended up predicting that in Matthew chapter 23. And so he's saying their way of life, their approach to fulfilling God's kingdom was the wrong way. It was an urgent message. But it was also an initial invitation to a life of salvation. Because Jesus was eventually going to the cross. And he was determined to hit Jerusalem at some point. And he knew that when he hit Jerusalem, he would be walking towards the cross. And some of these people would only hear this message once. The core message was an invitation to understand God's kingdom. We read it there a couple of times. The kingdom of God is near. That's the way Jesus was announcing the gospel when he walked first century Palestine. So he gathers a group and he says, go, tell people. Get out there and go tell people. Why? Because he says, the harvest is ready. The people in these towns are ready to hear this message of peace. They're ready to hear the, 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 the announcement that God's kingdom is near. They're ready to hear it. And you know what he said? He says, there's not enough messengers for these towns. We need more messengers. The harvest is ripe. They're ready to hear, but we don't have enough people to tell them. So let's pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more messengers to make sure that everybody can hear this message. So Jesus says, come on, let's pray that we have more people join our mission. We must reach everybody. Jesus would later tell his disciples to go again. Matthew chapter 28, go, but this time not to just a few towns. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. The urgency was to go, to saturate the world with God's goodness, with God's good news. And as I was thinking about us, and as I think about our church, and I think about our mission, and I think about what it means to saturate our city, I think we learned some stuff from Luke 10. We learn one thing. It's that we get to partner together. That's this first word. There's a few words, and forgive me if they're all peas. It just happened. I didn't really try that hard, but you're gonna, you'll see how it flows here. This, here's this first idea. They were a community on mission. Did you catch this? Jesus sent out 72 people, and he sent them out two by two. He didn't send them out alone. He sent them out two by two. This wasn't a new idea at the time. It was something common, but Jesus adopts it for his mission. And the early church would do the same thing. As Jesus died and resurrected, they sent out two by two and then small groups of people to reach other towns and share the message of Jesus. They were partnering together. They weren't individually on mission. They were together on mission. They were partners on mission. And I think the reason is, well, one, mission is hard. (laughs) So let, let me not do it alone. Let's do it with somebody else. Let's, let's do this together. But the second reason is you witness the kingdom in community. You witness the gospel in, in relationship. You witness reconciliation and peace when people are gathered together, not when they're separated. 
And so the method of saturating the world was to build these little communities of mission. The early church continued with this. They sent out two by two, but then it grew into little in pairs and fours and eights and 10, 15, 20 people. And when people came to faith, like this one lady, Lydia, in the book of Acts, she comes to faith, her whole household, her extended family, maybe the people that worked with her, started to discover Jesus, and it was a community on mission. This one jailer who meets Christ and shares it with his family, shares the gospel, and they start to grow as a small community on mission. They start to saturate the city through communities on mission. Not individually, together. It was a partnership. But it wasn't just a partnership with people. It was a partnership with God. Jesus says, he doesn't just say, let's go out there. And he doesn't just say, go recruit people. He says, let's pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers. Let's pray for more people. That God would would talk to people and invite people and call people into this mission. God is, this is the beautiful thing. This reminds us, this, this is so important. God is already on mission. God already loves your neighborhood. God already, God already loves your family. God already cares for your workplace. And he's, when Jesus invites us to pray, he's saying, don't just partner with each other, partner with me. Because I can lead people and call people to this. And I don't know if you notice this little detail in the beginning. It says, Jesus sent them out to every town he was about to go to. I love that little phrase that comes out. Jesus says, I'm going to send you out to a town that I'm going to eventually get to. Jesus wasn't just blindly sending them anywhere. He says, I'm going to pass by this town. We're going to do this together. We're, going to, we're, we're on this mission together. And I love that. That's so encouraging. It makes me ask this question. Just think about this for a second. What if Jesus is already in your neighborhood? What if Jesus already is planning to do something amazing in your neighborhood? What if, what if God already has your street on, on his heart? What if before you ever walk into work on Monday morning, your workplace is already on God's heart? And he's placed you there, not just leaving you alone. He says, I'm placing you there because I'm planning to be there. Because I'm planning to pass by. Because I'm planning to, to do a work in your workplace. Will you partner with me? Will you, will you work alongside me? What if, when you, if some of you recently moved, and you didn't realize this, but God was already there. He already moved to Vaudreuil or DDO or the East End or Laval before you ever got there. Now you got there and saying, oh, wait a second, maybe this makes sense. Maybe God's already here doing something. Some of you, our teenagers here with us today in your school, you showed up at school. What, what are some of the schools you got? To? What, do you go to? what school do you go to, Emma? Which one? John Rennie, Mateo, you, Luke, Lakeside, Andrew, John Rennie. There's like St. Thomas over there. What's your school? Westwood. I think God already showed up at your school way before you ever started there. Way before September ever rolled around. What if we would believe that God is already at our workplace, already at our school, already among our family, already on our street, And all we need to realize is he sent us there. We're partnering with him. But prayer was also about belief. Do we believe God is at work there? And then it leads to to this other piece, and it's power. Did you hear what Jesus said? He says, go and heal the sick, and then tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. That's God's power at work. 
Go heal the sick and then tell them the kingdom of God has come near. In essence, it's like, do we believe that God's going to work? And, and later on in, in, verse, in verse 17, this is wild because the, these 72 people come back and they return to Jesus with joy. It's, don't worry, it's, on the, it's not on the screen, just listen. And he says, and they, they tell Jesus, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Even the demons submit to us in your name. That is crazy stuff. And Jesus replies, as he tells them this, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, this is not a blanket like, don't go try touching scorpions and snakes tomorrow. It's not like a trick. But I think at this point, it's like Jesus has a vision. When, when these people come back and say, even the Spirit submitted to us, it's as if Jesus has a vision of the evil one falling from heaven. And it's as if he's telling them, I, I just, I, I see what's going on here. As you have been with people, as people have been healed, as people have been delivered from, from demonic spirits, the evil one is being destroyed. There's power at work here. Satan is being defeated as we go out and do God's work. The evil one that is against God's mission is being thwarted. And it leads towards proclamation. The kingdom of heaven has come near. I'm going to invite the team to come back as we, we move towards um, closing our time here in communion. But I want you to think about this idea. Prayer is involved. Power, God's power is involved. We're partners with him. We proclaim. But I think I just come back to this question. Do you, do you believe that you're still a pioneer? Do you believe that you're still a pioneer in God's mission work? Do I believe that I'm still a pioneer in God's mission work? Because it can be so easy to just coast with something. But God wants us to not just saturate us, but to saturate the world around us. And he wants to partner with us. He wants us to partner with him. And I believe the model is to be a community on mission. To be a community on mission. That's all of us here together. But it's not just all of us here together. It's when we scatter so today we invited people to, to consider joining a community group. We really believe with all of our hearts, I believe with all my heart, that the groups that are, are meeting in different neighborhoods are not just there for their own spiritual growth, but they're there for the communities around them. That they're there for the neighbors around them and for your coworkers and your friends and your family. That when we scatter and meet in different pockets of the city. And why we say, would God be nudging your heart to start or lead a group? Why do we say that? Because we believe that we would love to see every single borough or neighborhood that is reflected in our church have a gospel presence. That we would, we would, we would dream of a day when every borough in the West Island and every borough off the West Island and on the shores or wherever, whatever borough you call home, we would long for there to be a group of individuals who are partnering with Jesus, who are pioneering with him, who are praying and dependent on him, who are believing that his power will be at work and will be proclaiming the kingdom of God in that neighborhood. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to see? Wouldn't it be amazing if we, just, if we saw the city scattered, not just with people gathering for worship, 
but people scattering on mission together. It's, it's a little easier to gather for worship than it is to scatter on mission. But I believe that's part of the call. That might look like a group. That might look like a big and growing church. That might look like two employees in a workplace that have discovered they're both followers of Jesus coming together and saying, let's covenant together in prayer for our workplace. It might mean two or three high school students in their school discovering, oh, we're part of the same school. How, do we, how can we love this school for Jesus? How can we pray for this school? It's partners sent by Jesus to proclaim, to showcase his power, and to pray. You guys can move into this song. And so maybe two ways, we're going to talk about this further in the next couple of weeks and continue to unpack it. But what if today, the two ways that you can respond to this is one, um, how can I partner up with a few believers to, to fulfill Jesus' call to saturate where I am, my workplace, my neighborhood? Maybe, maybe one of the biggest ways is to join a community group, but maybe there's other ways to see that happen. And then secondly, we're talking about how do we bless others? We're intentionally partnering with this project in Turkey because we believe that we want to see the gospel saturate Turkey. So maybe one of, that, one of the responses is how can I be a part of fueling that? How can I help fuel that? I want to see that happen there. I'm going to invite you to stand as we uh, move into a time of communion this morning. But as a transition into that, we're going to sing this song um, because it, it invites us to see that, that God's desire, His love is for the world, is for your neighborhoods, is for your friends and for your family. And to, to slowly move in with Him and lean into what He has in store for you. So as we sing this and as we prepare our hearts for communion, because see, communion is a celebration. Jesus said, go and and." and share bread, break bread, and pour wine, and remind yourselves of who I am, but let this be a witness to the world that, that God is love, and God is inviting people to experience His goodness and His good news. But let's, let's sing this as we prepare our hearts for communion. And here's what we're going to do. As we're singing this, I'm going to invite you to come and take uh, a piece of bread and a small glass of, of juice, and there's some gluten-free on this side. Again, if you're not a follower of Christ or you, haven't, you feel like you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus uh, fully, then we just ask you to refrain from this and just, just sing with us, worship with us, allow God to speak to you. But here, as they begin to sing, let's celebrate into this moment and let's come and take these elements as an act of celebration, as an act of mission, as an act of a community on mission together for the sake of the gospel. Let's do that. Let's do this.